This episode features dramatizations of body horror, animal cruelty, and cannibalism. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, the story you're about to hear is not a direct retelling of any single depiction of the Yamauba. Today's episode combines elements from a number of Japanese legends and stories for dramatic effect. Hello everyone, I'm Vanessa Richardson, and this is Mythical Monsters, a Spotify original from Parcast. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. This week we continue our journey through Japan, from the rivers of the Japanese lowlands to the peaks of Mount Fuji, we've met some of the culture's most legendary and dangerous creatures. Today, join me as we climb back up the snowy mountains and meet the Yamauba. The Yamauba is a supernatural being, part demon, part witch. She's a cannibalistic creature, similar to Baba Yaga of Slavic folklore, or the child-eating witch from Hansel and Gretel. But she's also a helpful and even tragic figure. And that's exactly what makes her so dangerous, because you never know which form the Yamauba will take until it's too late to escape. Coming up, we'll meet an old woman who isn't as she appears. There's a new class of blockbuster drugs. Drugs like Ozempic. They're changing bodies. And all of a sudden, just the weight starts falling off. Fortunes. It just got too expensive. They're just bank breakers. And industries. There was a lot of excitement. There was a lot of skepticism. The impact of these drugs from business to health is just beginning. From the journal... Trillion Dollar Shot. Find it in the journal feed wherever you get your podcasts. At first, she looks like a woman, young and pretty or old and kindly. She approaches you on a mountain road, perhaps asking for food. Or maybe you find her hoping to seek shelter in her home high in the woods of Japan's tallest peaks. But whether you come to her or she comes to you ultimately doesn't matter. Because once you meet the Yamauba, you won't return. The word Yamauba has different Japanese translations. The main element of the name is the word mountain, while the rest may be read as demon woman, witch, or ogre. These words are negative, but the Yamauba can act quite pleasant. In stories, she frequently feeds and shelters the protagonist and works at her spinning wheel. On the surface, she seems to be a valuable member of society. But beneath that mask is the face of an oni, or demon. The medieval Japanese playwright Zayami is attributed with describing the Yamauba as having a thicket of snowy brambles for hair, with eyes that sparkle like stars, and a face that's painted red, a demon gargoyle crouching at the eaves. In this form, she's been known to devour people in one gulp. It's her duality that makes her terrifying. The line she toes between witch and demon. A Yamauba can save your life if you're lost in the wilderness, but she can also end it in the blink of an eye.
Waste not, want not. That's what Kono's Aunt Tadame told him when he offered to buy her fresh, hearty food for a real meal. Instead, she was making kayu, a mishmash of boiled rice and leftover scraps. It was a simple dish Kono had eaten in the leaner times of his childhood. He wished his little old aunt wasn't still eating like this. Kono watched Tadame stir the pot at the hearth. Waste not, want not was what his mother said too, but he didn't like to compare the two women. It wasn't fair. While his mother married young, had four capable children, and lived comfortably, her sister Tadame lived in this remote little mountain house and never married. This was frowned upon, but Tadame never seemed to care much. As a child, Kono adored her. She blew into town like the summer wind, showering him with treats and tails before heading off on her next adventure. In some ways, Kono took after her. He'd become a traveling merchant with only his beloved gray oxen for companionship. He was a cautious, superstitious man, wary of strangers on the road, as they could be brigands or hungry ghosts in disguise. But the traveling life had its benefits, like getting to visit the aunt he hadn't seen in a decade. Kono realized his aunt had aged drastically. While Kono's mother's hair was still silken black with sprinkles of gray, Tadame's hair was a wild white thicket. There were craggy lines in her face, like cracks in a mountain, and her eyes were so deep-set she looked almost starved. Kono felt a pang of worry at her frailty. And yet, as he watched her shuffle about her home, he decided that, no, Tadame was healthy, strikingly so. Her skin was papery, but it glowed. She was softer in old age, but when he hugged her hello, he felt that same comfort he'd felt as a child. And her eyes still sparkled, just like they did when he was young. Her house was tidy, with just enough room for a table next to the hearth. Nearby were entries to two more rooms, but rice paper screens kept their contents hidden. Kono squinted at the screens, wondering what was on the other side. Strangely, he didn't remember the rest of her home. He was sure he'd visited her before, hadn't he? He shook his head. Maybe traveling had exhausted his body and mind. His aunt bustled at the hearth, humming. Every so often he'd hear her teeth clack, but he could never catch her mouth making the sound. He laughed and asked her to teach him the trick, but she just ignored him and scratched the back of her head. Kono felt sad. Tadame used to be so vivacious, but she probably wasn't used to guests nowadays. He couldn't remember the last time his mother had seen her, and now here she was, slaving over the hearth for him after he'd neglected to see her for so long. He felt a pang of guilt. Aunt Tadame, I don't want you thinking you have to care for my oxen too. I'll feed them later. You already do so much. Tadame turned. Don't worry about your animals. You won't need them tonight. <laughs> Unless you were planning to run off on me already. She laughed, her face tinged with red, but her laughter was tense. Kono worried he'd offended her. Then she winked. 
Kono sighed in relief. His witty aunt was still in there somewhere. Kono wanted to keep their happy chatter going. I can't wait to tell mother that my route took me right by your home. If you want to write a letter, I'll bring it to her. She'll be so happy to hear from you. Tadame let out a weary sigh, then said nothing, as if she hadn't heard him. Kono waited for her reply, but all he heard was that same click-clack sound as she scratched the back of her head. The scratches sounded wet, like there were sores back there. Kono shuddered in discomfort. He respected elders and he loved his aunt, but the sight of an elderly Tadame was too much to bear in that moment. Kono stood and muttered that he was going to collect firewood. He knew how hard it must be for her to lug it alone. Tadame whipped around. Don't get up, darling, she ordered, suddenly a charming hostess again. That road is tricky. You'll lose your way before you know it, and I'll never see my sweet Kono again. I can manage the firewood on my own. I'll be back soon, so think of funny stories to entertain me over dinner. Tadame left the house, and Kono felt the warmth leave with her. He sat at the table, doing his best to keep his hands still. There wasn't much to look at in her home. If he didn't know she lived there, he might have thought it was abandoned. A voice in Kono's head began to ask questions. Maybe she didn't want him to look behind her screens because of clutter, but that was silly. Homes could be messy and welcoming, and why would a free spirit like Tadame care? He didn't want to bother his aunt. So he decided to satiate his curiosity while she would be none the wiser. Kono padded to the door on the left. He could see some uneven lumps through the rice paper, but he couldn't tell anything beyond that. He brought his hand to the screen's wooden frame and pulled, but it barely budged on its tracks. Strange, these doors were usually easy to slide. He decided he would have to repair them for his aunt later. Then he pulled again. The door moved an inch, allowing Kono to peer inside, but the room was too dark to see. He could only make out amorphous shadows within. He pulled harder on the door, and it opened another inch. Kono slid his hand through the gap, feeling around for what was causing the jam when his fingers brushed against a wet surface. Well, this was bad. Clearly, he'd knocked something over in all his jostling with the door. Kono pulled his hand back to the doorframe and pushed harder. He heard something crack before the door gave way. Kono went pale as the screen tore and the frame snapped. He felt just like when he was a child and had broken his mother's favorite bowl. Somehow he knew he was now in deeper trouble than he'd ever been in his life. But still, he stepped into the room and looked down at the ground. The wood floor was sticky, glittering in the weak light of the hearth. As the flame flared, Kono caught a glimpse of a face staring up at him in the corner. He froze, unsure of who it was. He was certain his aunt lived alone. When he moved closer, he realized that wasn't exactly true. 
His aunt Tadame had many housemates, but all of them were dead. Bones littered the floor. Human ones, limbs, pelvises, skulls. Some had gray flesh sliding from their faces. Others had been stripped clean long ago. And each bone was marred by giant, fanged tooth marks. Kono looked back to the main room and the broken screen. There were so many bones, they had jammed the screen door. That's why he couldn't get it open. Kono's heart slammed in his chest. He backed out of the dark room and into the comfort of the kitchen. But that firelit space felt cold and rotten now, too. It's as if he hadn't realized until now that the home was falling apart. With a jolt of panic, Kono realized that he couldn't recall the route that had taken him to Tadame's house. He couldn't even remember where his oxen and wagon were. In fact, his entire day was a hazy blur. Was this even his aunt's house? A dark realization passed over him. All his career as a merchant, he'd been so careful to avoid yokai on the road. He knew to ignore hypnotic whispers and to turn away from beautiful women, for they were witches in disguise. But he couldn't have known that a ravenous Yamauba would take the form of his beloved aunt, and he had to escape before the demon with her face returned. Coming up, Kono faces a fearsome beast in the forest. The internet. What would we do without it? So much information, so little time. And yet, with all the answers available online, there still lie scores of deep, dark, spooky secrets. Mysteries yet to be solved until now. This isn't clickbait. This is our exclusive new podcast, Internet Urban Legends. I'm Loey, your evidence expert. And I'm Eleanor, the self-proclaimed skeptic. Together, we're the gruesome twosome, sleuths in search of the weirdest stories on the web. Every Tuesday, we investigate the internet's creepiest conundrums, covering each conspiracy theory and combing through every clue to separate hoax from haunt. Whether it's the video sure to make you lose your appetite, blank room soup, or every kid's worst nightmare, the terrifying truth behind Disney's deaths, or every parent's worst nightmare, social media's Momo challenge. Each episode of Internet Urban Legends is chock full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. And no matter our conclusion, we're sure to be left scared half to death. So won't you join us? Follow our new Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free and exclusively on Spotify. Now back to the story. Kono's heartbeat pounded in his ears as he ran down the mountain in search of his cart and his oxen. He knew that a more careful retreat might have helped his chances of escaping, but how was he supposed to think clearly when the person he thought was his aunt was actually a demonic, man-eating Yamauba? No part of the forest looked familiar. He made regular trips through the mountain pass, but he'd never stumbled on this patch of greenery before. He was either very far off the road or under a powerful confusion spell. 
A great crack echoed around the forest. Kono wheeled around, looking for the tree that was about to fall. It turned out that it was all of them. The great trunks around him creaked and shifted, arcing downward to trap him. Tadame, or the mountain witch pretending to be her, must have gotten home and realized he was gone. Kono sprinted and dodged the bending trees as their branches scraped the ground around him. They tore his shirt as he sidestepped another sweeping blow. He was running out of time and space. Ahead of him, two towering cedar trees bent toward him, threatening to fall, but they were the only way out of the thicket. Kono held his breath, turned sideways, and dashed between them. The two trees wobbled, then crashed to the ground. The land shook with the impact, but Kono couldn't stop. He needed to find his oxen and escape. He ran until his lungs ached and his knees burned with pain. His eyes were wild and his chest tight. Then, somewhere, he heard her calling. Kono, your dinner's ready. Kono slowed. He felt dazed somehow, and after a moment, he couldn't remember why he'd been running. He smiled as a gentle breeze blew through the trees. It was warm and soothing, like the fire, inside his aunt's home. He decided to turn around. Tadame's house may have been littered with human remains, but he was her nephew. Maybe he could overlook her quirks, especially since she was making him delicious food. Kono shook himself and shuddered. No, this was a ruse to keep him there. The demon's warmth and comfort was just a trick to ease him into staying with her. He knew he had to fight her lure, but Kono's legs dragged across the mossy ground. Exhaustion made his world spin. Everywhere he looked, he saw something unfamiliar. He needed a direction or a sign. Kono spotted a glimpse of his oxen in a distant field. He pushed himself to keep running. Escape was in his reach. All he needed was to get to his beloved oxen. He forced each step, though it felt as though he was walking in a river of mud. His eyes were drifting shut. It seemed like it had been hours since he'd fled Tadame's hut, but that didn't matter now. He was close to safety. As Kono stumbled up to his oxen, his relief curdled into dread. Kono had spent all his savings on the two oxen. He'd loved their gray color and thought they would act as a good luck charm on his travels, but they'd suffered bad luck instead. The animals lay huddled against each other, still hitched to the wagon. Their necks were brutalized, torn out and drained of blood. Chunks of flesh were ripped from their bodies, and the older one's torso was nearly chewed in half. They bore the same tooth marks as the corpses in Aunt Tadame's home. 
Kono sank to his knees at the sight of his dead friends. He dug his hands into their fur and wept. They'd worked in harmony for years, and now Kono was responsible for their unspeakable pain and death. He'd failed them and himself. Kono heard the snap of branches behind him and turned around. A hare bounded through the trees, running for its life. Kono hid behind his fallen animals, hoping that whatever was chasing the rabbit wouldn't find him. The wind picked up. The hare looked around in a panic, its eyes bulging and mouth foaming. But as Kono squinted, he realized there was nothing pursuing the animal, nothing but the wind. The wind picked the tree branches up and spun them into a cyclone, a funnel of sticks and stones. Kono clung tightly to his oxen as the storm finally caught up with the panicked animal. A gray tendril whipped out from the cyclone and wrapped itself around the hair. The creature squealed in pain as it was dragged into the maelstrom. Kono struggled to understand what he was seeing. The cyclone was no taller than a person, and a small person at that. While it devoured the hair, the trees around it looked still and pristine, as though there hadn't been any wind at all. As hard as he looked, he could only see a swirl of sticks and the broken silhouette of the hair. Suddenly, the storm twisted into the shape of his elderly aunt. She was hunched over, her mouth smeared with blood, and her teeth clamped onto the hare's exposed spine. She smiled. Kono could hardly breathe. He wanted to believe that his eyes were playing tricks on him, but Aunt Tadame's voice proved him otherwise. Sweet boy, you should have just stayed and eaten your dinner. Kono couldn't believe it. It seemed impossible, a horror beyond any tales of the great Kami his mother had told him at bedtime. He bellowed, Yamauba, abandon this sickening disguise and tell me what you've done with my aunt. The demon witch smiled with his aunt's kind eyes and round cheeks, a cruel parody of Tadame's warmth. Kono, you silly child. I am what I have always been, even if you refuse to see it. Your loving aunt and a Yamauba. Before Kono could process her words, the Yamauba turned into a cyclone and swept him away. Coming up, Kono fights his fear and his aunt's hunger. Now back to the story. Kono awoke back where he began, sitting at Aunt Tadame's table as she fussed at the hearth. She turned to smile at him and he felt safe and warm. But then he saw flecks of blood on her lips. He recalled the hair she'd devoured, his beloved oxen she'd brutalized, and the pile of corpses in the next room. He remembered everything, and as the smile faded from Tadame's lips, he could tell she knew it. It was all out on the table now, 
Kono just hoped he could escape being on the menu, too. It was strange to look at this Yamauba version of his aunt. Her rosy skin was now ruby red, and her hair was so wild it looked like a writhing bed of centipedes. But her eyes were still the same deep brown that sparkled in the hearth light. Kono couldn't stop himself from asking, Aunt Tadame, what happened to you? Tadame smirked. Nothing happened, dear nephew. I am what I am, a Yamauba, as all women become if given enough time and space and freedom, though so few get the chance to find their power. Kono shivered, scared and hurt. So you were always going to eat me? The Yamauba's face fell. No, I feed on others, but I've always cared for you, Kono. I dote on you, don't I? If I lured you here, it's because I missed you, that's all. (sighs) But then you got curious. Let me tell you, it's a very unattractive quality in a man. Kono's cheeks burned. He had broken into her private room. Perhaps he could make amends, get on her good side. So he asked... Do all Yamaubas become the wind, or is that a unique talent? You were always the cleverest in our family. The Yamauba grinned. Just a little trick I picked up. Befriend the right magic frog, and you learn the most interesting spells. Kono nodded and forced a smile. What sort of spells? He asked. The Yamauba clearly knew he was stalling, but she humored him. All sorts. Some conjuring, a bit of transfiguration. An escape plan took shape in Kono's mind, a folktale he'd learned when he was young. So you can transform yourself into animals? Tadame looked annoyed. Her yellow teeth glinted in the firelight. A piece of the hare's sinew was stuck on her left front fang. She picked it out and sucked on it as she spoke. Yes, whatever animal I please, but I won't be turning into a mouse or some other creature that you can trap and torment. I know the stories too, boy. I taught you those to warn you against other Yamauba, not me. Kono's face went crimson. Well, there went that escape possibility. He stammered, what what about objects? The Yamauba nodded impatiently. I can do those too, and if you don't stop prodding, I might just transform you into one. She chuckled, picked another piece of sinew from her teeth, and held it up to the back of her head. Kono didn't understand what was happening until she turned to stoke the fire. Through her hair, he saw bloody lips and yellow teeth munching on sinew. That explained the clicking he'd heard earlier. Aunt Tadame had a mouth in the back of her head. Kono was convinced now he would be eaten and divided between two horrible mouths. Tadame came from the hearth with two bowls of Caillou. She saw the horror on her nephew's face and sighed in dismay. She set the bowls down on the table and looked him in the eye. Kono... If I can look past your flaws, you can look past mine. 
Can't an aunt and her beloved nephew just share a meal together? Kono's stomach growled. The food smelled delicious. Then he shuddered. Tadame insisted he eat. Perhaps she was trying to fatten him up before eating him. Perhaps she planned to transform him into some kind of food and then eat him. He looked at Tadame. His beloved aunt looked so friendly, like the woman he used to adore. He could see in her eyes that she would do anything just to feed her nephew. Suddenly, Kono had an idea. Kono knocked the bowls off the table. Tadame looked at the mess, teeth grinding in the back of her head. It seemed like she was about to explode with rage. But instead, Tadame slumped. She looked at Kono, weary and sad. If you cannot trust the food I serve, then trust me. All I want is to give you a good meal. Then Tadame closed her eyes and began to shrink. The little old woman shrank and shrank until she was a bowl of Caillou. Kono stumbled back in shock. Part of him was moved at her sacrifice. Another part of him was convinced it was a trick. But mostly, he was hungry. Trapping a Yamauba in transformed form would defeat her, or so the legend said. Perhaps consuming her would too. Kono grabbed a spoon and shoveled the porridge into his mouth. Perhaps if he digested quickly enough, he'd vanquish her. But Kono's stomach immediately began to ache. He clutched at his middle and retched, but no relief came. The paste grew heavy, sharp, and searing hot in his belly. He moaned, regretting every fairy tale he'd ever heard. His skin itched and stretched. It felt as if he was being torn apart from the inside. And then... Kono was torn apart, split right down the middle in a geyser of guts and bone. The Yamauba emerged from the mess, her wild hair coated in viscera. She spat out bile, irritated, and sighed. Ah, boys. The Yamauba named Tadame pulled her hair away from her face and adjusted her kimono. She surveyed her gory surroundings and reached over to grab a hunk of Kono's flesh. She considered it with a twinge of sadness, then popped it in her mouth. She swallowed and nodded to herself, waste not, want not. On the surface, the Yamauba can be taken as a warning to travelers to be wary of strangers, that a kindly old woman or an enchanting young maid met on a mountain path could be hiding an unsettling secret. However, the Yamauba's legend isn't just a warning for her potential victims, but for those in danger of becoming a Yamauba themselves. Yamauba are said to originate from young women who flee or are cast out of their villages to live in the wilderness. Then, as they age, they're transformed into the grotesque mountain witch. 
these women exist literally on the outskirts of society where they're turned into monsters. And the Yamauba is considered the worst kind of woman doing the worst act imaginable. In Japanese lore, feminine ugliness is commonly tied to shame in horror, and cannibalism is considered a truly demonic act, as it prevents the victim from finding peace in the afterlife. Unsurprisingly, many Yamauba stories come from Japan's medieval era, when women became confined to the home. The notion of chijoku, or shame and disgrace, was arguably one of the primary tools of enforcing gender roles in Japanese society. Yamauba are often described as shameless in both their appearance and appetites, breaching cultural protocol and natural law. And thus, her legend warns women to mind these conventions or else risk joining her ranks. Yet what's interesting about the Yamauba is that she isn't only portrayed as a cannibalistic demon. When she wants to, she can also be helpful. She'll offer to shelter or feed her guests, and all that she asks is that they respect her privacy in return. It's when they inevitably violate that privacy and find evidence of her evil side, like rotting corpses or a mouth in the back of her head, that she attacks. This feels like a troublesome message about women's supposed duplicity, but we could also see it as a reminder to respect their boundaries. Everyone wants and deserves respect, and there's a tragic element in the Yamauba's duty to punish those who second-guess her hospitality. It can make us wonder what would happen if the Yamauba was simply obeyed and left alone. But perhaps the Yamauba doesn't want to be solitary. After all, we all get lonely and hungry. And who doesn't love having a friend for dinner? Thanks for listening to Mythical Monsters. We'll be back next week with a new episode and another Japanese monster. You can find all episodes of Mythical Monsters and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. I'll see you next time. Mythical Monsters is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Travis Clark. This episode of Mythical Monsters was written by Lil D. Ritter and Jennifer Riche, with writing assistance by Alex Garland, fact-checking by Bennett Logan, and research by Adriana Gomez. I'm Vanessa Richardson.